Hello and welcome everyone to another session of the Wellness Talk video podcast, uh, where we talk with subject matter experts from across UF and UF Health uh, on the latest in their field. Today we have with us uh, Jesse Furman to talk with us about intuitive eating, fad diets, and nutritional trend red flags that we can notice. Uh, Jesse Furman is a registered dietitian and the assistant director for nutrition with Rec Sports. Jesse provides nutrition education, advocacy, counseling to students, faculty, and staff in the larger campus community. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks, Yusuf. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Um, is there anything that I left out in the intro um, or about your background that you wanted to highlight for us um, for our discussion today? I think you hit. I think you hit the big ones. Okay, perfect. Um, and so, out of curiosity, um, could you kind of tell us how you got started in the field of dietetics and nutrition, and what that progress looks like? Sure. I I got started in a way that was not a straight and narrow path at all. I actually graduate. I'm a UF graduate, um, and I graduated initially with um, two bachelor's degrees: a BS in finance and a BA in French. Okay. And I worked in finance. Um, specifically, I worked as a financial litigation consultant for a number of years in Atlanta and had some, had some really drastic changes that happened in my life and realized that I was not in the field or doing what I wanted to do to be most meaningful and impactful with my life. And I decided to go back to school and went back to school at Georgia Tech. And I got a third bachelor's degree because everybody needs three and that was in applied biology and during that time I had a lot of internships trying to discover what it was exactly I wanted to do in the sciences which was all I could figure out initially and I interned with Zoo Atlanta I interned with a, um, a French microbiology company in Lyon France I worked with one of my professors in his lab and then finally I realized what was one of my passions and has been my whole life, which was really like nutrition, food, how nutrition affects our health, our life and our interaction with it. And then I applied to grad school at UGA. So I made my sports um, affiliations very complicated at that point. Very. Yeah, I <laughs> did my master's there and um, wrote a thesis and defended it. And I then to become a registered dietitian, you have to complete a, an accredited internship, which for me that I was accepted to the Memphis VA, and that was a 10 month full-time program. And after that, it's very specific and um, regimented as far as what has to be covered during that time. And then I was able to sit for the registered dietitian board exams. And then finally I was there. So, I, I was able at that point to basically combine my lifelong personal interests by adding on the, the professional qualifications and professional rigor that I really needed to apply so that I could do what made, made me feel best about helping others and realizing the impact of how nutrition can change and be positive or negative to our not only our physical health, but our mental health. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like um, you know, third time is a charm, but then once you found kind of your passion, and I actually see that in our interactions uh, daily, I see how passionate you are about the topic and the subject matter, um, and, and, and being able to kind of convey that message to the, the people that you interact with. So thank you for being here with us and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. Thank you. Um, so as a registered dietitian, can you tell us 
what healthy eating looks like or what a healthy diet looks like? You have hit on a very <laughs> common question. And it's, it becomes equally confusing for the majority of us that don't study nutrition. <clears throat> we're, we're confused because of, for instance, our, our news media, our social media, our family and friends, um, our, our influencers that sometimes are on TV or on social media too. And, it's, and then we get hit with all these ideas of, well, to be healthy, you need to eat this, or you should have this quote unquote superfood, or um, you should eat a whole bunch of protein. And <clears throat> then it's also confusing when all these diets and trends come about. So coming back to what does healthy eating look like? There's a few things that we know really well from science. And then there's, <clears throat> and that's kind of where it stops so that it can be applied personally. So what we do know is that eating to, for overall health should include plenty of fruits and vegetables and legumes, including nuts and seeds, um, fiber rich, complex carbohydrates, heart healthy fats, um, seafood, lean protein sources. And if you consume animal protein, then you should also include plant-based protein. We also know that there are certain foods that you can, that if you consume them in higher quantities that they will have deleterious effects on your health. So a diet that, and by diet, I mean basically an overall eating pattern or style, um, a diet that's high in sugar or um, ultra or high processed carbs, um, high in saturated fats or high in sodium. So I basically at this point listed a bunch of categories and really there's no specific foods that one must consume to eat healthy uh, it's more important that you consume a varied diet and you're hitting all of these categories. What it looks like on your plate should be driven by your personal palate preferences and your cultural or religious preferences and your activity levels. Essentially, there isn't a one-size-fits-all plate for a healthy diet. There are a lot of suggestions and categories that it's clear that there's um, these are positive contributions to your health or and or categories that are in excess negative contributions or negative to your health. And that's where it often gets confusing. My friends and family, I have to call out my mom right now, she will say to me, honey, is this healthy? I'm like, oh, mom. <laughs> and she's holding up a product or a specific food. When she watches this, she's going to shake her head. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, what, what else are you eating? How much of it are you eating? Do you like it? And that's really some of the bigger, that bigger picture question of, is it, what does a healthy diet look like? Being able to kind of like pull out and have that uh, 10,000 foot view of what does the overall style of your eating look like? And how <clears throat> is that encouraging for health? Does it hit all of these categories overall? And that doesn't mean every single day it needs to. It means that when we look at that bigger picture, what does it look like? Absolutely. No, and I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, um, like you said, that there there is some science that gets to what what's um, could have some kind of positive effects with to our health and our bodies and what some things may have um, that ha may have uh, negative effects to our bodies or our health. Um, but then the rest of it is really just um, 
you know, very personal based on many, many different factors that you mentioned. Uh, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, while it is simple and idea and practice, it becomes very difficult or I guess very convoluted and confusing to some people because of all those different little factors and different messages that we receive from different individuals. And so I, I, I appreciate that you brought that up. Um, and the example for me, I, I hear that all the time. I'm not a dietitian by any chance. I'm not even a nutritionist. Um, but as someone who practices in the field of public health and health promotion, I get that question asked all the time. Yusuf, is this healthy? Or, you know, what do we do with it? And, and it becomes very difficult. And I tell them, unless you're eating kind of a bucket of sugar straight out of, you know, the bag or whatever it may be, then <laughs> maybe that's not, I can say that's not healthy. But other than that, that's um, kind of beyond my uh, field of ex expertise. Yeah, yeah. I actually really dislike the word healthy um, because it's ambiguous. I, I, I oftentimes will state if, <clears throat> if your eating pattern is nutritious or is it nutrient dense? Mm -hmm. um, because healthy doesn't have a great definition to it, but are you, are you eating nutrient dense foods? Are you, um, or is, is your overall pattern of eating nutritious? Is that because, um, if I may ask this question, is that because uh, healthy has the word healthy has kind of been used so many different ways by so many different individuals that it kind of lost its meaning is that why yeah and you'll see it in advertising or commercials or food products so it's kind of been co-opted or used in ways that it it's meaning exactly what you said it's been diluted Okay. Um, and I also, I'll, just to pause for a second, I want to mention that, um, so my camera setup is a little high, and as I'm looking at you on my screen, it may look like I'm looking, you know, I'm not looking directly at the camera, so I apologize if that gets a little bit confusing to you or to our viewers, um, but that's just because of the, the camera setup that I have here. No um, uh, Thank you. Uh, so uh, one of our main topics today is uh, intuitive eating. And so for those of us that may have not heard this term before or may not be familiar with it, could you explain to us what is intuitive eating? Sure. Intuitive eating is actually one of my most passionate areas, actually in the process of um, getting my certification to be an intuitive eating counselor. It's, it's a multi-step process. Um, so there's some confusion because intuitive eating has received more press in the past few years. And it's been used kind of like the term healthy in ways that it's not necessarily intended. Um, so I would like to, I will share with you what it is and then a little bit of what it isn't. So it is an evidence-based approach that is focused on mind, body, and health. So that includes our, what we eat and how we interact with food. Um, it's, there are 10 principles total that are associated with this weight neutral model. And it is backed by over a hundred plus studies, which is continuing to grow. Um, it's, and it's implied using a process of interoceptive awareness or body attunement. So more specifically, intuitive eating is a very personal process um, of really honoring health and listening and responding to the direct messages of the body to meet your physical and your psychological needs. So as I mentioned, it's recently been used in ways that it wasn't meant to be used by the diet industry and by the quote unquote wellness industry, um, which is basically another manifestation of diet culture and restriction, just relabeled. Um, they've co-opted some of the intuitive eating language. It's basically in that format, it's been deduced to 
eat when you're hungry, stop eating when you're full diet, which is not intuitive eating at all. And this is what I've heard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are two of the principles um, of learning to understand when you are hungry and what your body is actually saying to you. And then when you are full and recognizing that you may want to stop at this point. However, there may be other factors that you decide to eat a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, So on intuitive eating, unlike a diet or a specific plan, you can't fail. It's a journey. It's It's a journey on relearning what our body is about. So intuitive eating definitely would, um, does not encourage counting calories or macros or tracking really anything. Um, it's, it is tracking and understanding your own, your own body signals and that attunement factor to better understand it. Um, it's important to know that the history of intuitive eating has been focused towards individuals towards many individuals who have engaged in some form of like restriction or dieting or goals with the, um, with the desire to manipulate or change their body size or shape. And oftentimes this is to fit with a more slim aesthetic driven world. Um, when that under, when you, when one undertakes that approach, it can lead to a lot of changes to the your overall self-talk and basically how you approach food and a lot and activity in life. Um, Oftentimes those, those behaviors can result in body dissatisfaction, perhaps constantly obsessing about food or body size or whether, or that you'll be happier just if you lose weight um, and whether a food might be good or bad. So in that sense, overall, like putting the bow on what is intuitive eating, um, intuitive eating aims to heal, um, or positively influence one's relationship with food, body, and self. Okay. Um, and, and so as a follow-up question is, uh, intuitive eating in, intended to be, um, kind of a, a, a diet replacement in the sense that if, if you were, like you mentioned, um, having diet that was aimed at losing weight or meeting some sort of, um, um, body image um, fixture in your head. Is intuitive eating meant to fix that or is it intended to just replace um, in general kind of uh, dietary habits or eating habits? It's meant to take away the negative associations and connotations we have with it. As far as weight, it is a weight neutral approach with a foundation of health at every size principles. So those that undertake intuitive eating frequently have that history of wanting to change their shape or size of their body um, or dissatisfaction with their body. And taking on intuitive eating might mean that you lose weight. It might mean that you gain weight. It might mean that you stay exactly the same. However, a bigger measure is how am I feeling? What are my thoughts? Am I still thinking about food or dissatisfaction with myself all the time? So it's meant to, heal that relationship. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and so there isn't what, I, what I'm trying to get to is that there's not an end goal, say like with some other diets that you may see or hear of, um, of you're, you're doing this diet to lose so much and so much with intuitive eating. It's kind of a more open-ended approach to just changing behaviors overall. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. There isn't a final end goal because as people, we are continuing to change and 
we are dynamic in our thoughts and our decisions. So it's meant to continue to adjust to who you are throughout your entire life. And, and I, um, with the next question, I think that um, we may already know the answer, but I'll ask it away anyways. And so that nutrition is oftentimes kind of mentioning, mentioning alongside kind of weight management. Um, but uh, the messages can get very confusing. And for those of us that may want to um, adjust our weight, but still have a healthy relationship with, um, uh, with food and, and, and the, you know, diet overall, nutrition overall, um, that the messages that we hear could be very confusing. And so sometimes it's overcomplicated and we're told that you have to follow a strict regime uh, to, to have any success. Um, and other times it's oversimplified and just said, you know, just, you know, eat whatever you want. As long as you're counting the calories and you're doing activities, you should be okay. Um, so what are your thoughts on that discussion? Although I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it in a way. Okay. Well, you, um, you know my thoughts there. <laughs> However, I definitely can give you some more some more, um, more of that neutral and science-based background behind it too. Perfect. So a lot of my clients come to see me and the common sentiment is I want to lose weight. We live in a very weight focused society. Mm -hmm. um, that means that we talk about weight and ways to change our weight pretty commonly. Um, think about the last family gathering you were at or the last friend circle you were at when it's your closer friends and with weight or um, activity level or some one of those things discussed. It likely was. Um, thinking about that and talking to talking about it a lot may, I'm gonna say may here, <clears throat> even though it's pretty common, may lead to preoccupation and worry and thinking about food and body shape and size and um, whether a food contribution will influence what, how we are responding to that. If I eat this cake tonight and these three cookies and et cetera, am I going to gain five pounds? So then it becomes this quite starting to question different food contributions to our weight, classifying food as good or bad as, the, as our favorite words of healthy and unhealthy. And then that might lead to engaging in perhaps a, a specific diet um, or some other forms of restriction or exercising excessively. Um, skipping meals, et cetera, that sometimes is a decline in social settings. Um, right now in COVID, we don't really have social settings, but let's go with the non-COVID world. And we will come back to having social time. At some point, yes. Yeah. Um, and that can also lead, particularly if you're having any type of restriction of trying to eat, quote unquote, good at breakfast and lunch, to maybe cravings and overeating and uncontrolled eating by dinner time. Um, so that's some of the weight loss sentiment. And there's this idea that we can oversimplify that. Let me take away that oversimplification first. There's this idea that we could control our weight simply by um, how, how we move, how much we move. So exercise and what we eat. So exercise and nutrition, two things. That is a significant oversimplification. There are a lot of great studies and information showing that our weight is indeed influenced by nutrition and physical activity. And there are a whole bunch of other things. So I um, figure 5.4 of the Foresight Report, um, which is called Tackling Obesities and Future Choices. It was actually um, a research report. This was done in the UK. And as you pull that up, I want us to look at 
the spaghetti, the plate of spaghetti that's that will be visible. <clears throat> this one? Yes. Okay. So we're going to go one more, the one that doesn't have the bubbles on it. Okay. There we go. This is the plate of spaghetti. And all of these, all of the text boxes that you see, every single one of those text boxes is associated with our weight status. All of these text boxes that state various things in there are influencing our overall weight status at our current moment and our history of our weight status. Um, now- it's very complicated, okay. yes. It's extremely complicated. It's not just movement and nutrition. And so for reference, um, here on the right corner, um, we have uh, kind of the physical activity and then in this, this purple box here is forces of dietary behavior. Um, and then below that we have um, degree of primary appetite control. And then on the top we have kind of uh, psychological um, ambivalence. And there's many other boxes here, but those are like the, the ones that were closer to the center circles, which were the spaghetti circles, which were, uh, which is uh, energy balance. Yes. So that first, um, the first picture that you pulled up kind of groups these different groups them into categories of how our weight is influenced. So if you switch over to that one, that is showing in these bigger terms, how our weight is influenced by these different factors. And then within these bigger bubbles are all these tiny details. And I think it's, at this point, I hope it's clear for others to understand that it's way more than just, I'm going to exercise more and I'm going to eat less. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very, it's very, um, uh, it's very eye-opening. And, and, and in my world of, of public health, we often refer to those, uh, the first two things that you mentioned, which are nutrition and physical activity, um, mm -hmm. because we're coming at it from uh, a, a very basic overview of, of this is the first step to understanding. Um, and then there are many, many other layers. And I try to, as much as I can in the classes that I provide, whether it's like the Healthy Lifestyle Program or other sessions to try to explain that this is a very basic overview. There are many other, you know, factors, including genetics and including social behaviors and in, in, in the, the, all the different bubbles that we um, saw in the graphic earlier. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, yeah. uh, and it kind of brings me into my next question. Um, and so every once in a while, we'll see a diet that, that you know, or a new trend um, that comes that comes along and says, we have done research. This is um, uh, the best way to to manage weight, whether it's to lose or to gain weight. And and I've seen actually on both ends of the spectrum for individuals who um, maybe wanting to gain weight, whether it's uh, muscle or otherwise, and then others who just want to lose you know weight. And uh, oftentimes it's um, um, wanting to lose kind of uh, the fat um, content in their bodies. Um, so what are your thoughts about that? How can we um, evaluate and what, what factors should we consider when we're evaluating these trends? Mm, great question. One, the number one recommendation that I would suggest is be critical. Be critical of anything that seems like it's going to be a miracle or it sounds too good to be true. One of my favorite quotes, and I've forgotten who said it, um, is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. 
So something that suggests, as an example, you will um, take this pill and it's a fat burner pill. Take this pill, make no other changes to your lifestyle and you'll lose 10 pounds in a month. That's a, an extraordinary claim. That sounds like it's too good to be true. I don't have to do anything and I just have to pop this and I'll suddenly be slimmer. The same is, you know, take, drink these muscle, muscle gainer shakes, um, drink one a day, or most of them say like drink five a day, um, drink five a day and you'll have this lean, you know, very enviable physique, Yes. but don't do anything else. Just maintain your life. That is extraordinary. That's an extraordinary claim. So in that sense, it requires extraordinary evidence. Now, if we don't, that would be the first step to signal like something is off here. Um, more recently, some of those trends would be, for instance, um, celery juice. That hit about a year and a half ago or so. Um, and it was celery juice will cure everything. Um, there will always be something in the We've had um, various supplements like green coffee bean extract or raspberry ketones, and there will be more. There will always be more. Um, so one of the first steps, I think of this as a three-step approach. Okay. So first step is who is making the claim and is this source reputable and credible? In other words, are they just spouting their personal beliefs? Um, is, do they have an agenda for like money, fame, power? And do they play by the rules of science? If they are claiming something that is just, it doesn't make any scientific sense. That's a, that's a really big red flag that you want to raise. Say uh, that doesn't add up. Um, If you can, step two is evaluate the evidence. Sometimes this is a, this may be a little challenging, particularly if you might hear it on some news outlet um, of like, I'm, or you're not interested in reading some sometimes boring scientific journal article. Um, but you can ask questions from like, how was this research funded? That's a common question in the supplement industry. So supplement company may fund the research for a specific outcome so that it shows that their product is worthy and works. Well, that's biased actually. Um, what is the quality of the evidence? If you're getting information that, that says, well, in animal studies or in cell lines, um, well, this worked this worked at the cellular level, that has no basis to how it's going to affect human health. Now it might, however, at the cell level or in animal studies, and we're looking at mouse or rat studies, we're not, we're not rats, we're humans. Um, and so it has to be replicated in humans without bias. Another way of evaluating the evidence is, does the new idea account for the old ideas, including those anomalies and basically um, explaining the anomalies that weren't, weren't explained in the old idea, or the old theory. In other words, does it take what we previously known and build on it and say, well, this was unclear, so we're now we're going to go to the next level. If it didn't do that, it's missed a lot of the steps of science. Now that step can be a little challenging for the average consumer. Um, And that's where my step three comes in is look out for nutrition red flags. 
and I sent you a slide basically, and I put up a bunch of nutrition red flags. And, and these, these are similar to those extraordinary claims. So, except it's just putting it into a little bit of that category. Um, are there severe restrictions or unrealistic claims or, you know, one diet will fit everyone and save everyone? Um, does it, the easiest like litmus test I like, does it seem too good to be true? Um, does it eliminate entire food groups or entire foods and basically demonize those food groups? Something that's been demonized for a while are carbohydrates. Um, at probably 10 or 15 years now-ish, that carbohydrates have been like, they're terrible. All carbs make you fat and they make you gain weight. No, no, they don't. I hear that a lot, yes. <laughs> that, that doesn't pass any of our tests. Um, so it's these things that I would encourage people to kind of put, put this claim up against. So is there, is there a cost associated with something? I put random um, examples in that I could think about underneath each of these red flags that are commonly out there. Can we go through just maybe a couple of, uh, couple of them just to uh, yeah. kind of get an idea of, of what the, some of those red flags may be and explain them a little bit more? Sure, I'll let you pick. Okay, so um, I, I like the severe... Uh, uh, severe restrictions and uh, obsessive focus on specific foods or nutrients because I, I think I see that more often than any um, is to say like you mentioned like the celery juice or here's a you know you know eating this one specific food item like avocados or um, celery or dates I hear now I think is the new trend that okay. that, that will solve and cure everything right one of the um, so like solve and cure everything thinking about that obsessive focus on specific foods. Ha think about, let's go with dates. I love that example. Dates, how long have they been around? I'm gonna go with at least 2000 years, but definitely longer than that. I'm just gonna sure. pick that number. And how long have we been eating them? For generally as For long, long as they've time. been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw animals eating them and we decided to eat them and they're like, ooh, these are sweet and delicious and yummy. Exactly. So if for a minimum of 2000 years, we've been consuming them and they're sweet and delicious and yummy and they play to all of our evolutionary sweet desires, how have they been miraculous for the past 2000 years and why, why are they right now? Exactly. They, celery juice, um, thinking that we must consume it's been, the celery industry has thrived in the past year and a half, um, so much so that they're barely, they're, they're just like at that level of just keeping up. Um, celery has been pretty like uh, overlooked veggie for a while. And I think it started with one of our celebrity influencers um, that had it after she was um, encouraged by a man called the medical medium who has no actual medical training that I think he was told in a dream or something along those lines by, by um, the God that talks to him, as he stated, that celery juice would be a cure-all um, basically for everything, wow. for, for um, significant health concerns, for weight status, 
for any type of um, ill feelings, like ill gut feelings versus if you have um, a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, that's, I like what you said at the very beginning of this, and that is um, uh, substantial claims or uh, was it, was that, or, yeah, extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. And I think that's, um, that's where um, uh, we, we probably can kind of uh, see the focus that if someone is making that extraordinary claim, where, where is the evidence to, to show it? And it doesn't need to be this, this convoluted um, uh, cycle where, you know, myself as a consumer, I have to dig through um, uh, all this paper trail or these um, evidence to try to find this extraordinary claim. It should be kind of self-evident. Um, yeah, and so one thing that I'd, I'd like to add to all of that is uh, one thing with science is it's not about um, evidence in science and scientific evidence is not about one single study or one single paper that's published. It's this overwhelming body of, of science and research and, the, and, and what all of them together kind of conclude. So having a one-off paper or study that releases um, new results showing um, this new food has these great benefits. Well, that could be true in, in a scientific world that doesn't really stand ground against all the overwhelming body of evidence that says otherwise. Yes, you explained that so well. That was perfect. It's, it's really easy to, to decide what our opinion might be on something and then go and seek out, well, I'm going to look for something that confirms my bias. Uh, and I'm going to find some random paper or statement or quote unquote guru that also confirms this, but that doesn't make it true. Um, and, and so with that um, in mind, what are some of the trusted resources that we could look forward to, to or look at to find trusted nutrition information? Yeah, uh, so I, if we've applied that cautionary lens yes. to, um, to a new trend or fad, so we realize like, okay, this is another fad and it's not, it might expose me to something new and delicious that I like. Like I've never had dates before, so now I'm gonna try them. Um, it, it grew a whole lot of pomegranate lovers uh, about a decade ago, yeah. that people that had never tried it. So that's a great thing. That's having increasing variety and intrigue and desire into your diet. But overall, our same foundation is true that we talked about at the beginning, those categories that are beneficial to health and well-being. There's a couple things that I, there's a couple places that I, I like a lot for nutrition information. One is the much overlooked choosemyplate.gov, which is the United States basically healthy um, diet eating information site. That was a lot of words that weren't very <laughs> clear. Um, but going there, you can you can look up, for instance, look up veggies. I, it's not uncommon that I have a client that says, I just don't know what veggies to eat or cook or what to prepare. I'll send them to that site and say, just click on the veggies and it'll give a host of different veggie options, ones that are in season. Um, there's also recipes and basic like inspiration ideas for different variety. That's a really great information site. When it comes to visualizing from a plate perspective, if we think like we often eat on, in a plate on a bowl, um, on a plate in a bowl, um, <clears throat> there's two that I like a lot. And one of them is the Harvard Healthy Eating Plate. The other one is the Canadian Eat Well Plate. 
it takes away a little bit from some of the categories. It, it takes away some of the politics associated with the US government's choosemyplate.gov. Um, so the lobbyists are not there, for instance, at the Harvard Healthy Eating Plate, but it's a little more associated with, this is what we know from science. And this is how we know that you, these are some ideas of um, different food categories that encourage the variety and allow you to personally make your food choices. And then my personal more nutrition philosophy passion is the is intuitiveeating.org. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I would not recommend anything that's it, it should have some validation or validity and a person's blog may or may not be helpful for a recipe. Yeah, okay. oftentimes, <laughs> but for like trusted nutrition advice, not really. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm uh, two of those uh, sources that um, choosemyplate.gov and the Harvard um, Healthy Eating Plate are both the resources that I um, go to often on a personal and professional level. So I highly recommend them and I'll, I'll look more into the intuitive eating uh, website and I'll be sure to include links to each of those in the video description after, after we're all done. Um, and uh, to kind of end our discussion for today, are there any um, resources uh, both on and off campus that you would recommend for an individual who wants to learn more about, um, you know, intuitive eating or just dieting and nutrition overall? Sure. I'm so glad that you asked this. And I definitely have a bias. <laughs> um, if you're part of the UF community, meaning if you have a GatorLink ID, if you don't and you're part of the UF community, you can establish that. Um, you can see me. Uh, if that's of interest as a registered dietitian. So I, I have two services that I offer to the UF community. One is regular nutrition counseling, which is a fee basis. And it's a more extensive deep dive into you, your goals, your desires, your journey and nutrition. And then a free option, which is nutrition speed counseling. And that's a 10 minute session with me over Zoom. And we basically take that 10 minutes to, um, to talk about some nutrition confusion that you have, uh, or if you're looking to understand what would be the first steps towards moving on your nutrition journey for your goals, um, or maybe to discover, should I do, or do I want to do regular nutrition counseling? So that more the discovery side. And then um, both of these, as I mentioned, both of these services are available to the UF community. So that includes students, alumni, faculty, staff of both UF and UF Health, Shands in Gainesville and Jacksonville. And you can get more information on that by going to the main Rec Sports website, which is um, recsports.ufl.edu, navigate to fitness and nutrition, and then to nutrition. Um, I'd say for in the UF, in the Gainesville community, I lean towards some of those websites. Um, we have great dietitians that are with UF Health Gainesville too. Um, a lot of them are for inpatient clinical, but there's also an outpatient dietitian there that can, and there's also a pediatric dietitian within University of Florida. Those would be more insurance associated um, and also great options. Perfect, thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, is there anything that we have not covered today that would be important to share? We covered a lot. I think I so, think yeah. Anything else? Okay, yes. perfect. Well, I appreciate that. So with that, we'll end our wellness talk for today. I hope today's session has been informative and valuable both to our audience and to you as our uh, guest speaker for today. 
Um, uh, and for our audience, the evaluation for today's session will be included on our website um, and it'll be included in the video description as well. Uh, please take a moment after you've completed watching this uh, wellness talk to complete and give us your feedback um, on your experience. Um, feedback is very important for us because it allows us to help improve um, our uh, programming um, to benefit the campus community. Um, so to see other wellness talks or the formerly known uh, Wellness Wednesday sessions, you can find all of those on our website. So wellness.hr.ufl.edu um, and navigate to the wellness library. Uh, thank you for tuning in and be well. And thank you, Jesse, for being here. Thank you, Yusuf.